Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spike, how are you? I have visual. I think you just need to switch your uh, your mic on down the bottom left there. There we go. Say hello. Reading you. Yeah? Yeah, got you, mate. Got you. Sorry I'm late. No, no worries at all. Thanks for getting up early and, and thanks for taking the time. Well, I say early. You know, before midday is like early for rock stars, but obviously you're a family man, so... You know, life has yeah. to happen, doesn't it, before noon? <laughs> uh, yes. I Man, I, I try to get myself up around, you know, 8, 8.30 at the latest. Um, so, yeah, not that early for me, just, just confused. <laughs> a year and a half, well, I guess two and a half years into this form of life now as well. You still haven't mastered the art of the the zoom meet no i have not <laughs> that's okay um, and i've done them i i think uh i think there was some confusion on my part as to, to the format so there you go well it won't be a, it won't be a video broadcast call. um but uh, that's it's nice to see you and i like to do them over video so you can kind of pretend like you're in the same room yeah body language and whatnot that's uh it's everything. Well, it's half. It's at least half. Uh, and I want to start the interview off by telling you a little story 
well, just three words I think might trigger in, in, in your mind where I'm going to go with this. And those three words are the midnight stroker. Yes. All right. <laughs> now, I don't know where you're going with it, but uh, <laughs> now but I'm aware of the phenomenon. <laughs> so last year, you guys were on the Flogging Molly Cruise. Um, yes. I, I was on the Flogging Molly Cruise. I was DJing before bands, doing some live Q&As. I've done a few of them. And um, every year I get to take a friend with me. And I took a friend last year. And the one rule that I said, I was like, you can do whatever you want on the boat. And I know it gets loose because I've done a few. Um, but whatever happens, you have to be there with me, watching me first in the Gimme Gimme's on the pool deck set, because that's going to be the highlight of the weekend, I can already tell. Um, and sure enough, this dude, who will remain nameless, got absolutely twisted and stayed up all night and slept in all day and missed your set. So I'm there, arms on the balcony, Hawaiian shirt, sailor hat, mustache. I've kind of grown the mustache out just by being lazy, but... I'm watching your set and you in a moment of, and I was quite annoyed at this point that I was, you know, enjoying your set so much, but on my own. And it's always a bummer when you have to like see a band that you love alone because you want to share that moment with someone. Certainly. So I'm, I'm kind of having a great time, but also it's bittersweet because I'm knowing this moment could be shared with my best friend and he's blown it by sleep. And this is like three in the afternoon. This isn't early. Um, and no. you, you stop. <laughs> And you say, this song goes out to the Midnight Stroker. Look, there he is over there. Point right at me. Now, in that moment, you made what was already a really good experience fucking great because I wasn't entirely sure of the definition of the term, but I was aware that it basically meant, hey, check out that 70s looking perv. You can tell <laughs> that it's innuendo, that there's the, the yeah. And it just yes. lifted my spirit so much, dude. And it was like it was like getting roasted by your favorite comedian. And, and your what, friend's an idiot. For, yeah, he's for a not. fucking absolute moron. And what was great is after your set, one of your techs, I guess he was trying to do some damage control and what a great guy to have on team. But he came up to me and he gave me like a couple of plectrums and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't take that bad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That made it. Like, I take that as a badge of honor to be called that from Spike. It's great. So um, thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> I remember that, that that incident now that you mention it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not uh, I've never been in the Navy or any branch of the armed services, but I know a lot of people who have, and that's where it comes from. Supposedly, there's one on every seafaring vessel, and you don't know who he is, thus the name Midnight Stroker. Can you and, can you delve a little bit further into the term? Is it basically a guy who lies there awake at night in his bunk rubbing himself? No, he goes mm. out right and uh, um, rubs others right. anonymously, <laughs> and so they call him the Midnight Stroker. The joke uh, being, and I didn't make the joke up, but the, the, it's like the joke on the boat being that like. What is it like? It's just a hand comes into your bunk, and you say, uh, <laughs> "If your hand isn't off of my crotch area, you have exactly thirty minutes to get your hand off." That's that <laughs> joke. But uh, and but so some they call him. Apparently, he's called the Phantom Grabber on other boats. Like we found out because we discussed it with uh, like two different groups. One of my best friends uh, was in the Navy and we were in, in Tijuana one time 
and there's a lot of sailors that go down there, obviously not so much anymore, but, um, at the time there certainly were. And my wife, uh, saw that there were two sailors, uh, that were kind of drunk. And she said, Hey, is it true that there's the, 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 or is it just legend, the midnight stroker? And both me and my friend were like trying to get, you know, no, 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 don't, don't. And uh, and they said, what the hell are you talking about? And it was this really <laughs> uncomfortable moment. And then they said, oh, the phantom grabber. Yeah. Every boat. There's one on every boat. And uh, so. Yeah. An honor. Uh, it, it I was. Song about it, too. You did. Yes. No, I haven't released it, but we've been playing it for for quite a few years. Different band entirely. But uh <laughs> Well, dude, um, I, I already felt, and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke up your ass and be kind, I already felt in my heart before that set that you were the best frontman in punk for me. Um, and I'd love to just kind of dissect the whole artistry of frontmanship and, and, and being a lead singer and, and you know, a performer and, a, you know, a comedian and all these roles that you inhabit in the band that you, you do so well and so successfully. But for me, there's such a fine line between all of it that you just, I mean, it was evident to me from the first time i saw the gimme's live that although the songs might not be originals and you might not have written them you inhabit them so wholly and just the space and the moment you're in so fully um and there's a presence to you in what you do and the segues my friend the stick like the, the way you set up the songs as well as the way you sing them is such a masterclass in frontmanship and i really do i really do mean that and so when when you kind of directed that little bit of shtick at me i was just like i fucking knew this guy was my guy but um who who for you when you started out did you have mentors or people that you look to either for direct guidance or you'd steal a trick here you'd observe a you know a, a kind of um a methodology there because it's a very rounded package what you have um I, i'd be intrigued to know how you landed at it uh first of all clothes make the man um so uh we have a stylist and wardrobe uh i don't know if you would call it assistant because she is a master she also happens to be my wife but uh right on so, there you go um but is that her uh, trade or is she just kind of evolved in that area as you know mm -hmm. your relationship with her and your career has evolved she no, she's she's just a visionary with uh uh like a fascistic attention to detail and implementation. Like she doesn't take no for an answer and which when it comes to people involved in creative endeavors, unless you're in one of those cities like I don't know, like Los Angeles or you know, where 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 there's sort of a tradition of taking creative endeavors seriously. Like it's you're not popular when you do that, but she doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? She's one of those people, and that for that and for many other reasons, uh, I admire her and her output. But um, no, yeah, just sort of a fascistic attention to detail and not taking no for, for an answer, <laughs> not taking good enough for an answer. But yeah, so so first of all, I would say that the clothes. Uh, irony as far as like guides guidance any bully that i ever had when i was a kid which i had quite a few uh growing up that's um 
that's probably responsible for the for the troll for the inner troll that that I'm able to to find because with the clothes and with the false sense of confidence you know people say to be yourself like that's that's that to me is entirely false and how like in in so-called punk music there's this weird sort of like obsession with being real you know or being your true self to the point where you see a lot of bands well i mean nobody's wearing hurley shorts now you know maybe but like to to like some years ago bands playing in hurley shorts and like and it's not like that man there's a place for that certainly right but there's, there's, 2003. To me, yeah or, or a time for that exactly there there's a time in the past in the uh for that but uh no that i would say that it that um your show is either an event that people will remember or it's not right and you could be earnest about it i can't that's that's not something that i can do but i do i guess i'm not trying to emulate them but as far as like people who get up in front of people that i admire and respect stand-up comedians for example like um anthony jesselnick uh like tracy morgan if that people that like they're not their real selves and when like god there was patrice o'neill was a genius at it at like is, is this guy really about this stuff mm -hmm. and he would never cop to the fact that he either was or wasn't like fully behind and fully supporting these weird you know kind of heinous things that he would say and then he'd just stop and stare at a particular person in the audience and make them really uncomfortable and then would just kind of move on and it wasn't like a positive happy thing but it was a great performance uh gerard carmichael is another one these days i don't know if you've ever watched his uh I know the like name, but I'm not warrior. familiar with his. Kind he is of a comedy shit. warrior, this right. dude. Like, so, like, he he starts first. He's got two or three great comedy specials, and then he's got another like um, a recent. His I think his most recent one is I think it's called Rothaniel, and it just he it just completely deconstructs, you know. And he's 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 still kind of a troll, but he just uh he turns it into this weird sort of confessional you know but it's genius man that there's an element it's perhaps not as belligerent as him but there is an element for me in what you do of tony clifton and that kind of approach. oh yeah or, or uh what was andy kaufman's yeah yeah that's, that's was, that, was that tony clifton yeah his his yeah. lounge singer alter ego <laughs> well, and him wrestling women and him yeah, just sort yeah. of like um, just under the wire or maybe even beyond like the threshold of of good taste, but still entertaining and uh, humorous. But you would have to have a certain you'd have to lower your sensibilities to that level. And, and that, you know, I like that because then you're with other people. Old. and so so their process is, is always somewhat different and i like that 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 sort of tension i don't know that we're able to achieve that like i wouldn't put myself in that category but as far as people that i admire 
and uh, respect. And it, if there were like a methodology to it, it's sort of making a troll of yourself and trolling the audience from from a weird persona that it has something to do with the way you're dressed, like wearing masks. What Big it time. does for people, it, it like that's not you, but it apparently is. It's part of your id somewhere. It's, it's somebody that you wish you could be. I mean, because I DJ a lot, and for me, DJing is such a boring task. You know, you just you're stood there. There's a skill to it, and there's an art to it, and I believe when you're good at it, you stand out. But essentially, you're just stood on stage pressing play on other people's music. Right? There's no real skill or talent involved. So I always wear costumes and and inhabit yeah. characters in a similar way so that I can deliver a, a form of a show. And, you know, there's there's times when I can feel myself going too far and I have to rein it in. And what I'd love to get your thoughts on, because for me, alcohol is a factor in perhaps, you know, when you get a bit overzealous on the mic and I have to put the mic down, but you're obviously, you know, sober now. How did your evolution... Sally sober. Yeah, so a little bit of the old greenery, a little bit of greenery. So how did how did your performance evolve from early on, because I imagine in, in the early stages of, of the Gimme's journey, you're all partying, right? And everybody's yes. taking. Yes. Everybody's drinking, using, yeah, all sorts of stuff. But it, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't have to get that. Like, I was only 37, you know, when I had to stop. And, and I think it was like it had more to do with with relationship stuff and uh, emotional health than with physical health. But a few years on, I got to see the, the the physical toll that it took on people. And then as far as performing, yeah, it was, you know, it was a real. I imagine you, know, you like, got better, right? It's not as hard. Re recording is as hard because you, you, you start to like really realize that weird dichotomy between performing and recording and i remember the first time that somebody ever told me uh, uh like give it you know more like savage energy or something like a vocal take and and then after that said okay split the difference or something like that back off and it was then that I started to realize that there's somebody else in the room and you don't even know who they are. You can't like they're not an actual physical presence, but somebody else is in the room and something other than what you maybe uh, uh, instinctively wanting to do is expected of you. Uh, I don't know if I'm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, make, it makes sense. I mean, I guess you're you're a lot more conscious and self-aware, right? And so in the early stages perhaps it, does that create awkwardness and a element of self-doubt whereas before yeah, you would well, maybe just not pure energy it's not pure energy the way you thought it was supposed to be the way and somebody who like starting in my early teens i listened to like punk bands that sounded like pure energy it sounded like it it felt like more energy than musicianship because it was like a lot of these bands were like like when i was in my early teens like they were sort of doing this music to make them feel brave enough to go outside you know where the whole world wanted to kill them you know like it's um it sounded like energy it sounded like like bravery like but it wasn't it was musicianship it was like 
melodies and chords and practicing and like you know hearing somebody tell you like hey no a little less aggressive no a little more aggressive like oh that sounds perfect you know and that's not how you would instinctively perform that part and it became a lot more uh acute when i stopped drinking because i became much more aware of what i was doing and um incidentally i became much more aware of doing something forever and therefore regretting some things that you did that would be accessible to people forever does that make sense yeah i mean so you don't you don't have any regrets of any recorded moments do you certainly yeah all, all the time man think things that that like just conceptually were were maybe um uh dubious you know but uh none come to mind right now but yeah certainly certainly and and it's like when it's live maybe somebody has a you know these days as of like the last 10 or or what 15 years now cell phone recordings of it you know but it, you know that it, when it's live it's there are different expectations like that is supposed to be something like pure energy um and pure snark maybe in my case and in you know yeah. but there were a lot of great punk bands and i'm trying to think leonard from the dickies is another perfect example like that guy like jack grisham Larry. as well i think he nails that jack grisham has another like thing like he has the confidence of a used car salesman <laughs> now that that he's i'm not gonna the dude's not old but the dude is older than he was and the way he carries himself like he is he's like a used car salesman like it's wonderful to see or like a, a you know a talk show host yeah or something that's so deranged instinctively <laughs> how to how to deal with like a crowd of people and is like maybe he's earnest about it maybe that's the real him but like to me that doesn't really that doesn't matter as much as it maybe used to you know you did one of the greatest segues of all time on that boat where, where you set up me and Julio down by the schoolyard. And yeah. just word for word, it was so fucking perfect and hilarious. And talking about deconstruction, like you deconstruct the entire song from every point of view within it and, and go on for so long. And I was, I was in awe. I was just like, this is a fucking segue. This is, this is how it's done. <laughs> I learned that in Italian and did it at a wedding. Wow. And the young, like the young kids, like the guy that was getting married, the guy who actually hired us, he loved it, but nobody else did. Everybody else thought like, because it was filthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, like it, it's strange to me how well, it made me think about the reality of that song, you know, cause it, yeah. what you're saying isn't false. You're not making up facts. Like what you're saying is this is actually exactly step-by-step what this song is about. Right. And why do we make exceptions for people like Paul Simon? Like, that's interesting to me, you know, like, why would, like, it's just strange to me what's accepted and then what's just obscene. Like, uh, what was I, I was thinking, like Pasolini, like Salo, for example, like that movie, like it's obscene. It's like naked 
teenagers eating shit. Have you ever seen that movie? No, no, no. no it's, 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 it's pretty sounds great. Like, sounds but like it, a good one. But it's a work of art. But yeah. if, if anybody else had made it, you know, like it would be. As obscene. you say, deemed offensive. Yeah, it would be deemed offensive and outrageous. But because of Pasolini's stature, because of Paul Simon's stature, I'm trying to think of something. There was something else that I was just thinking about. And I'm like, so where, you know, is the line? I was watching something about William S. Burroughs, a documentary about and a naked lunch. They tried to ban it in Massachusetts when it first came out, but then it was deemed, you know, artistically artistically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it became what it is is hypocrisy, right. And double standards really. Yeah. Yes, I guess so. But like, but I'm glad to hear that, like that there is something that's maybe not arbitrary that that's maybe like a set of criteria that like decide what, you know, like maybe it is completely arbitrary, but I'm glad to know that there is something that divides Paul Simon from, say, porn. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it just child porn as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's the, I mean, because because he's talking about like, and he was talking about it in the 70s. Like I want to mm-hmm. say the early 70s. In so many ways, like how strange is that that the 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 70s were like so much more advanced. I look at them as a really dark decade, man, because it kind of was when the free love went south and sour and you had a lot of dudes taking advantage of that whole concept of free love. And you had a lot of these kind of communion situations where it was one guy basically just, you know, becoming the cult figurehead. But you looked at kind of the way that free love concept became really just perverse and nasty in the early 70s with a lot of the glam and i love that glam era musically but like you look at the kind of stuff that was going on especially here in britain there's a few kind of you know tv shows at that time yeah you know you know the 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 history there the dark history of the bbc and of, of the uk and and all our tv hosts were basically just having their wicked way with like children at the studios whilst Top of the Pops was going on. And it's just like, oof, dark. Yeah. I mean, the Catholic Church, it's, you know, it doesn't, anywhere where there's like sort of a, a, a like a power. Hero uh, worship, right? Yeah. Differential. Yeah. Hero worship. I mean, and, and like, that's, that's a problem, man. Cause you can't, you can't really blame the glitter band for no. Gary Glitter. And, no. and what an amazing band like that's one of my favorite rock and roll sounds is the way that song i don't know if you're familiar with i didn't know i loved you till i saw you rock and roll no no i'll have to check that out but i and do love that, that sound starts, i do love that sound yeah have you ever heard the roman band uh judah no They're a newer band they basically cop that sound really well um i'm gonna have to go down the rabbit hole because i love the way todd phillips used that track in the joker movie um and within that framework it obviously works really well when joaquin's walking down the steps and it's like like rock and roll or whatever the song's called i can't remember yeah exactly it's such a great slinky sultry fucking sexy dirty song yeah and all of like all of the good gary glitter tunes are like that and it's not the band's fault. Like they, they were just a great, they were an excellent band. And the rhythm sections in those bands, like the guitar players were great. 
obviously, but the rhythm sections and those bands like that to me is what that until punk obviously is one of the glass, the last great rock and roll sounds like innovations of sounds. Like they took the fifties and turned it into something completely different. And I don't mean American glam of like the LA like metal, because I don't really like those. You're talking sweet, particularly Roxy music, sweet, Roxy music to a degree they're they're a little bit artier than than uh you know like i, I would say t-rex mud. would be a good yeah yeah t-rex yeah, yeah, yeah. Mud. love mud because i like just the straight up rock and roll i respect sparks yeah. even though it's not necessarily my thing but i i respect the hell out of them oh man um, i only heard this song for the first time the other day in that yellow jacket show but angst in my pants and i was like wow have you heard that tune I'm not sure. Is that a Sparks tune? Sparks tune, yeah. Angst in my yeah. pants. It's so see, good. Like, I don't even know. See, that'll be something that I discover down the line, which is good because it's always good to, like, it keeps you young to, to like, I just listened. I bought my first Fela Kuti record, like, a year ago. You know what I mean? It's You're good going to, in to, your drum phase do. in percussion yeah. era. Yeah. It, you know, exactly. Cumbia, psychedelic cumbia music. There's so much that's still in front of me to discover and enjoy and find like a frequency that I dig about. Um, but what yeah, was I, there, I heard you on a podcast talking about, I won't be able to nail the terminology, but some kind of like Brazilian rock and roll project that you've got going uh, on. Boleros. So um, it's me and a bunch of Panamanian friends uh, from Panama city that we got together um based on uh, like i've been digging these songs from they're mostly from i want to say from the 50s and into the 60s of these people that did this classic musical form called boleros which they're essentially they're sort of like beatles songs with more minor chords they're they're like if you deconstruct them they're just kind of classic pop songs but with a lot of minor chords and diminished chords um um and these groups that for the most part were called trios that were um and it because was because they were three pieces or what what yeah well the three what? main dudes would be uh would you know they were of three because there was a per- there's obviously percussion and you know some kind of orchestration in the background but these right. are the three main and generally, like Los Panchos, for example, who were a really famous one, uh, two of the guys played guitar and then one just sang. Uh, and But they were the guys that you saw, say, if they were on live TV or in, in many cases in like weird sort of trashy Western movies and stuff like that. But the songs that they did, they're beautiful when you first hear them. And then uh, as I started to slowly learn what they were talking about, like just beautiful love songs. Some somebody put it actually somebody in Panama put it to me in a really great way. Nobody ever wrote a bolero about the middle of a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but um do they have kind of like a Roy Orbison haunting quality? Is it in that sort of vein or I guess you could say that Leonard Cohen or... but it's Spanish song structure. So it's 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 croony for sure like that it's croony and sad um and desperate uh but it's also it's 
a different, it's a completely different. But I mean, if you dig Spanish music, which I do, like it's, um, and I want to, most of the groups actually of that time were from Mexico or the Caribbean. And um, a lot of younger people don't, they, they wouldn't know it except for their grandparents. And so a lot of the people that I started the band with in Panama, like they're like, yeah, my dad, this is one of my dad's favorite songs, but I never, you know. The band is called Los Nuevos Bajos, by the way, which means the new lows in Spanish. And uh, can I can I stream it or listen out, to it? Hopefully anyway? this year. What's that? Is there any like music available at the moment anywhere, or is it certainly there? Certainly is on. Uh, there's a San Francisco label called uh, Del Corazon Records or Del Corazon Music, and there's a seven inch record on his label. He was in a band called La Plebe, which I don't know if you've heard of. They were like a ska sort of punk band uh, that started, I want to say, in the 90s and played in the aughts and the teens. And uh, they toured all over the world. But he now does a music archive, um, sort of archiving and digitally preserving a lot of the music from that era and from all sorts of different eras and genres of Latin and I think specifically Mexican music. And uh, he has a lot of other great stuff. I want to say he has a Laurel Aitken release on the label too, but he will be doing our full length record and uh, that should be coming out. I hope this year it's been COVID really knocked everybody for a loop. But uh, and we have not been able to get together for because they're all in Panama, are they? Because they're all in Panama City. So it's much easier for me to go down there, which, you know, I've done a few times and that's where we recorded. And um, man, it's so humid down there, too. Like <laughs> I grew up in a humid environment and I live out west now, which is less so which is something that's always been like, it's still like, it's like a 30 plus year culture shock for me to try to breathe this arid air. And it's not even that arid. Like San Francisco is pretty, pretty wet when it comes to the West coast, but man, you go down there, it's like breathing water. It's like breathing straight H2O. Do you As an Englishman, in... you can appreciate that, right? <laughs> like it's, well, it's good. one of my favorite things about traveling is stepping off the plane. I always do this and you just breathe in and like tasting the flavor, the texture, everything of yes. the air in different places. And everywhere has its own thing. And colors. That's, that's one of my favorite. Colors, smells. And I grew up in a, in a town, like, I guess maybe like a Sheffield or a Birmingham of, of the U.S. That's where I'm from, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a steel town. It's, uh -huh. you know, grimy, shitty. Traditionally, it was it's it's now it's expensive and discovered and all that bullshit. But, uh, you know, but but things like the smells uh, and it was there were still some industrial like active industrial infrastructure there when I grew up there. So it and it, but some of it's it had to do with the the dew point and the moisture content of the air too, the colors looked different. And then when I moved out West, I moved to kind of a drier part of the West near Sacramento when I, when I, when I first came out West. And I just remember thinking that like, what, where there's nothing 
to hold on to. My eyes hurt because there was nothing. There was no cloud canopy. Like in Pittsburgh, it'd be in the 80s Fahrenheit and you wouldn't see the sun. You know, like it's which which felt normal to me. I didn't know that the rest of cicadas. I don't know if you have them in 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 England. No, what are they? They're like locusts. Right. No, that no, like no. have like a weird 17 year like gestation period. So like every 17 years, they're, they're like I th- they're there every year. But like, I think it's something like every 17 years they like they go crazy. And it's just the sound that you hear everywhere you go where there are trees. And Pittsburgh is a really as well as being a, a, a you know, grimy industrial town. It's verdant like it's a verdant green paradise and so you would hear these cicadas everywhere you went and if you ever ever told me that i would miss that sound you know i just said you were nuts like it, it just it was it happened so much and that that you didn't even notice it that i only noticed it when it was gone and then i, I was remember gonna say like, you don't know what you got till it's gone right yeah exactly but cicadas, that's a strange thing to... <laughs> Tell me about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were such a strong team in the 70s. Like, they were one of those, like, legendary franchises um, that, like, the four Super Bowls that they won in the 70s were, like, they're legendary. The, there was a thing called the Immaculate Reception. Franco Harris, rest in peace, he was, he was, the, uh, um, he was the receiver. The Iron Curtain was what they called the defense, the defensive line. And there was this guy, Jack Lambert, who had missing teeth. And when it was winter, you could see the the like the steam coming out of his nostrils <laughs> as he was looking straight at, you know what I mean, at the quarterback of, of the opposing team. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of the history of the team. Um, maybe more so than a diaspora of Pittsburghers, but yeah. And then I think a lot of what happened to Pittsburgh recently, like the fact that that you go to the hood and there are like shitty row houses for $350,000, I think a lot of that has to do with people moving back now, that, that a lot of Pittsburghers that move to bigger, more expensive places like really missed home. Because as shitty of a place as it was, it was also had these these really unique qualities that you couldn't find anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, a lot of I would say that that's probably true. But also that a lot of the the so called Steelers Nation uh, would be made up of non Pittsburghers as right. well. Right, right. Just as you say, living in that glory time of when that team was on top of the world and taking and when names was on the bottom of the world all oh, right like that was another big aspect of it was that pittsburgh was one of the first places pittsburgh and detroit were, were were a couple of the first places where like because and people didn't want to know about american failure at that time it wasn't something that we were willing to countenance so it was just kind of not really thought about and then i think when reagan one of the first official things he did as president was to like fire the air traffic controllers that went on strike. He just kind of summarily fired them like that kind of the eighties was bad. So having a team that was doing so well meant uh, a great deal to a city that was struggling. 
what took you out west then what made you move to was it california originally yeah my yeah. folks my All dad right. got a job in davis so we moved to davis california which was i don't know how to describe it like it's 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 like the central valley but if they put on airs because it's got a university there so it, it was like just truly insufferable you know like hick towns are bad or like in California, they call them Okies, but you know, there's a different word, rednecks, hicks, whatever. But man, when they put on airs, it's something else like that, that I truly found. And then just people that it didn't strike me that had really seen or experienced much, at least not compared to Pittsburghers. Pittsburghers like that I knew had been through loss, you know, like I was never, like I wasn't born there. I was just raised there. So I didn't have Pittsburgh problems. But I was adjacent to, to, to Pittsburgh, if that makes any sense. Um, what, so you mean like alcoholic fathers, broken homes, all that classic yeah. kind of. Yeah, really desperate. Like there were like in the 80s, suicides, homicides, just all sorts of weird, like. A lot of domestic violence. and Yeah. yeah uh, and destructive behavior. And Davis was nothing like that. They like it just was sort of one thing I will say about Davis is they had a punk rock cruise night which was the weirdest thing. I had never experienced anything like that because it was like, because in Pittsburgh, we got flyers from like golden voice shows in Los Angeles, like big punk shows in San Francisco where I currently live. And uh, like, and we, we uh, only had this shitty, like punk rock honky tonk. That was on stilts, you know, built onto a cliff on stilts. Um, literally as well. Literally. Yeah, yeah literally. The, the back, like the front was was on the sidewalk, but there was a cliff. There was a precipitous drop right behind. So the, so the stage was on like stilts that went straight down because Pittsburgh is just sort of like this big. It's cliffs and hills and, and uh, mountains. But uh but then you would see an MTV did this, this program, I think it was called like punks and posers or something like that, where GBH played this huge venue in Los Angeles and you just like 600 people came to it and you'd be lucky to get 150 people in Pittsburgh out. Cause it's just a little steel town. And, uh, uh, so I remember like every sort of punk event in California looked like it was just kind of writ large. And then like this, this cruise night that they had in this shitty little college town in the Sacramento Valley called uh, Davis. And they had, so they had, there was a club in any college town. There's a bar called the graduate and the graduate used to spin punk records and people would like dance around in a pit, not to a band, but to records. And, you know, it was a shitty little suburban town. And then there was a change of management, which became a lot more like frat centric. You're familiar with frats. Of course. Right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Fraternity houses. They all say that they're like Animal House, but they're not. Like none no. of them. They're all like date rapists and fucking. I think yeah. one place in, in, in Davis actually burned a, a rape victim, alleged whatever, but a rape victim in effigy like i think they actually burned her in effigy at one point because she was like sullying the name of of their fraternity or so but so the graduate became a much more frat centric uh directive management 
And um, so you should have uh, had Gresham, uh, Jack Grisham down there beating them all up. That's right. They should. Well, and um, but so what happened was they were probably playing TSOL records um, there. But what happened was, is they put a sign out. There's this really kind of like crude sign. And it was with and this was in 1986, mind you. And it was with like somebody with a safety pin through their cheek and a trench coat and a bad like faux hawk all drawn with a big X through it. And it was their new no punks, no punks. So what ended up happening was this little like event, grad night, they would call it grad night, um, where the people would go to the bar and dance and have a good time, listen to punk records. It ended up uh, like increasing by like 10 times of the size because all these people from all the neighboring towns and cities would descend on the parking lot of this bar, which just happened to be like in a strip mall. And it became bigger than anything. It turned into like a punk cruise night. So that much was cool. But the rest of it was just sort of like they hadn't seen anything. And then also there was like, if you got into hard drugs in an environment like that, there were a lot of people that never got out of it. Because I just feel like the suburbs makes you like this like it doesn't once you get into trouble you're on like a one-way street because i think and i believe it's like has to do with your imagination and the parameters that you impose upon yourself or that you know like my parents sent me to shrinks in davis to kind of like try to convince me that it was me and not the place you know, but like it sucks. Just fit like, in. Come on, speaking, just fit in. It fucking sucks here, man. Like it's not, you know, and no amount of like creativity or inventiveness like is gonna make it suck less. I, I don't know. I did see scratch acid in a silo. That was pretty cool. There you go. Um, what was your trajectory then? What path were you on leading up i won't ask you to talk about the formation of the gimmies i'm sure you've recounted that tale a thousand times but like at that point in time were it not for the gimmies like do you ever think back now looking at your life and everything you've done do you ever think like where was i headed then and were it not for that where would i perhaps be now yeah you just i mean there's no way to really say they just kind of threw it in my lap so the formation for me was just sort of by the numbers and I was drinking then. So I just kind of was, you know, until we got into a recording scenario, I was just sort of being myself, you know, like practicing the songs once or twice playing live where you play the songs once and then suddenly getting into a recording scenario where I'm doing songs like upwards of 20 times, like Jesus, really? You know what I mean? I got to do that part again. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how things would have been different. Were you like, chasing me? Were you chasing music? Was that like actively on your radar? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I played it, and I certainly listened to it. I'd say that my style of music was and still is wildly different from the guys that I was in a band with. You know, like that sort of like. SoCal derived. I love like a lot of those Orange County and South Bay, like Southern California bands of that time period, like the early 80s. But then like this, the 90s stuff leaves me a little bit 
cold. It just it it just sounded kind of like too compressed and too much like pop music to me. And not like to me, pop punk is kind of is the Ramones, right? Like that that's pure pop punk to me. And it, it's like Buzzcocks, Undertones, Ramones. Buzzcocks, Undertones, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it was just weird, weirdo pop music. Yep. Faster because that was what like young kids wanted because the world was getting weird. Like it's really interesting to me. Like it's not interesting to me necessarily to talk about where it started, like New York versus London or or um like individual people. Like they're like I was watching that William S. Burroughs documentary, and like people call him the godfather of of punk. And uh that's not as interesting as like the circumstances in like maybe in those just to name those two cities um that sort of led to those movements like the conditions in those cities like new york was not a great place i mean yeah. it was a great place but it was not like you know it was culturally vibrant but it wasn't necessarily pleasant right <laughs> no exactly and it seems like london was the same way like garbage strikes yeah and uh sweltering you know, heat mass unemployment okay yeah let's yeah. plug the guitars it, in and get angry and and the reason I love a band like Buzzcocks or Ramones is they weren't getting angry. Um, you know, there was no rage to their music. It was all joy. You know, there might have been a certain sardonic take, but it wasn't about anger. Uh, their rebellion was just more about expression and individuality yeah. and joy. But there's irony in, say, the content, like the, the, like the narrative of the words of the song. Like there's a kind of disconnect between that and the frantic way they played the music like the, the boredom track yeah, while yeah, it yeah. might not be angry it's it's desperate and yeah you know it doesn't sound like emerson lake and palmer you know like it <laughs> right like it's scathing yeah 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 and it and it like it attracted eventually when it started to become popular which i think is sort of the beginning of the end it attracted like sociopaths like I'm sure you've had experience. Like there are people that like go to shows that, you know, like they shouldn't be out. You know what I mean? They should be fucking locked up. I have a know? strange relationship with punk because it's my favorite style of music, and most of the guests I have on this show, in one way, shape, or form, are, are connected to that community. But whenever I go to shows, I have very little in common with a lot of the people in the crowd. Um, a lot yeah. of them are very uniform in their ideas Easy. and their dress sense and. Everything is very much just like they're stuck, very much stuck, whether it's in the 90s or the 70s, depending on the gig you go to. And for me, punk was always about keeping it moving. And my friend's got a funny expression like, um, you know, golden syrup, like treacle. He, refer <laughs> he refers to people who are stuck in the past as like that because it's like wading through treacle. They're just like, <clears throat> and it's like, let go of the past, man. Like, just because you've got bondage trousers and a mohawk, that doesn't make you punk. <laughs> like, and just because I don't doesn't mean I'm not. <laughs> and the more and those things don't age well that kind of shit doesn't like the more a uniform becomes codified and uh like the the more gang-like people become like some of the worst shows that i've been to were of bands that had been around 20 plus years and i don't know why that is but like it, it didn't seem like a coincidence to me if that Who's makes the toughest sense. band you've ever opened for Who's the toughest crowds? 
because I can't imagine anybody not enjoying a gimme show because it's, you know, it's music from all of our childhoods and it's presented in a, a fun way. And I imagine you always kill, but there must have been times when you've gone up against a less than receptive crowd, let's say. And then I guess you have to switch gears and, and work for their approval. And do you, like, are you somebody who thrives in <laughs> perhaps less than positive onstage situations sometimes? Yes, most times, like just to to push people to the point of like public collective expressions of disapproval and then occasionally past it and then to reel them back in. And like, I find that we have a lot of capital in that regard. Now, I don't know why that is. It's got to be the music, but um like people are willing to take it from certain personalities like i'm trying to think of a of a like i can i can only really think of positive like opening for iggy pop and at bowling was 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 you know it's cheesy to say it's a fucking honor but you know like that that was that was hard but it was really cool to say he was next um and the crowd went for it they were on board yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They oh, yeah. dug it. And uh, I think the Spitz played that show, too, which I got to watch them. And uh, uh, you guys played the first ever punk rock bowling, right? Yes, I believe that's that's true. In like 98 or something. I believe so. Um, and yeah, I think I even bowled that year. <laughs> um, I can give you an example of when we did a tour with uh, Flogging Molly and the Violent Femmes. Oh, yeah, and that was recently. That was such a weird was- bill. That was such a weird, and I love, love the Violent Femmes, but I just can't picture having done the Flogging Molly cruise a few times, and I, with all due respect and love to Flogging Molly, who I love as well, those two bands seem like a really weird fit. And then with you guys as well, I was like, is the guy on acid who's putting this bill together? Like, it just seemed like a real trippy weird bill so you know like in england for example like glastonbury like those are wildly different like there's a method to that madness and then certainly in continental europe the successful festivals all are like they were booked by somebody like on hallucinogenics right Mm -hmm. like it's don't they all seem that way but they draw from all these different people like man you could not like me but I get paid regardless. Like you bought the ticket to enter this festival because there are other bands that you like. So it's ultimately, but with that tour, we eventually kind of like it dawned on me um, that we were the heels of that tour and that like on tours like that, like that, that's a great um, role for us to play, which is to be the heels, to be kind of like the trolls and then to let, you know, Flogging Molly and the Violent Femmes come in and save the day and right. be earnest and be, you know. Um, and I love the Violent Femmes. I loved to be able to watch them every night. And like, I don't say them being earnest as, as like a put down. Like they, they were yeah, just yeah. playing their songs that meant a lot to a lot of people. And uh, that's kind of that's not our relationship to songs that are not even ours you know Mm. so it kind of frees you up to do a little bit like it's it's rare that it's rare to me 
like Ziggy Stardust is an example. The Ramones are kind of an example, even though it was sort of something sort of somewhat simplified, but but they had a uniform and they had a presentation. So after they had finished the songs, they realized they weren't done. Like you got to keep, you have to keep pushing through and present it in a way that is, you know, like, I, I don't know, to me, it's all about tension, but. And release, right? That's the kind of nature of comedy too, isn't it? Is build up, release, build up, release. Yeah. And push people to the point of like, where they don't like it. Yeah. You know? I fucking hate this guy. And You're then you, drop, you drop a tune they love and then they go, actually, he's all right. <laughs> yeah. We did that. So the toughest it's been to do that um, in recent memory, we, we uh, was Auckland. And they had had a big earthquake. I forget what it was. Like they, they had just had like some kind of one two punch and it got really uncomfortable at certain times. Like th there were definitely boos that were heartfelt. <laughs> but then at the end, it was, it was straight up unironic applause. So like that, that I will accept. The Pirates game was a bad scene. We played, we played fireworks night in my hometown. So it was, it was like being on acid. Um, it, it was a fireworks night where they like, it's, it's been a, a thing for a really long time. They set off fireworks from the top of the old U.S. steel building, from barges on the Allegheny River, from like, from the field. It's like M200s or something like that going off all around you while you're playing songs. And whoever... Like, I think whoever hired us to play that event was like on his way out of the Pirates organization. And this was kind of like his last fuck you to them. And uh, by the second song, there were like the booing had started, but like, so like in earnest, like a lot of people. And then it just started growing until I'd say at least 25,000 people were booing us. And we still had to play like the whole, uh, like our whole, the, the set that we had agreed upon, which was only like partial songs. And then they had this really stupid production where they had video of like players talking about songs that they liked, like Rascal Flats, you know, and then somebody would say Sweet Caroline. And then we'd go into Sweet Caroline unaware that that was the boston red sox fight song too and then like they were rabid but we were like we were out of projectile range thankfully but uh but there were then like amidst all the booing there's these m200s going off and it's my hometown too which is just like it was such a hallucinogenic kind of experience and then we had to stay like in the owls of the stadium for a good like two hours just to make sure that everybody was gone wow and, and then we, we didn't get recognized as the band that ruined it made the front page of the newspapers the next day did that you was keep tough. the clipping did you keep the clipping yeah yeah i've got it somewhere <laughs> yeah i love yeah, that though because a lesser band a lesser band in that situation would have you know bailed right but you stuck it out go on what's it say i don't know that we could have bailed like they they wheeled us out we would have we would have needed them to wheel us back in. So so we were we were sort of it says it says punk band fails to score with Bucks fans at Sky Blast. That was what the the fireworks. <laughs> that's not, that's not too unkind a headline. 
No, no, I wouldn't say. But, uh, but yeah, I think it was just like the headline was something about the Steelers because I think it was early in the Steelers season, and they, uh, you know, were maybe losing their footing, and people were worried. And then, like, a few headlines down from that was like there was I think there was a war, another what do they call intifada between the Palestinians and the Israelis. But that was like way down the, it just shows you where Pittsburgh's priorities are. And fireworks, it's like religious, man. And we ruined it. (laughs) We ruined it. Chris number two was there. I love him. What a guy. He was there. He was there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Was there a heyday for you in your mind of, of like, gimmies in terms of, like, lineup and chemistry and, like, enjoyment of... Of, of the thing um because you know you've been at it for so long now and obviously now i know the, the lineup's a lot more fluid um but was there a period for you and obviously because you know everything has changed in terms of album sales and the popularity of of a certain kind of music like it you know growing up in that time and, and you obviously rode that wave um there must have been some very special if not tons of special years moments when it must have felt like you're on top of the world for a minute or two, at least. Well, that was, you know, I try to approach life with that same sense of irony. And so like that, that event was actually like, you know, in hindsight was a high point in, in the moment. It was anything, but, but in like, in hindsight, man, like, did I really want to be like cheered by a bunch of Western Pennsylvania hicks man because they're not city people they, they're afraid of the city you know what i mean and uh no booing was like a red badge of honor um that was a high point opening for iggy pop was was definitely a a high point touring with with the violent femmes was was you know this band that like i remember from when i was a teenager like a huge band you know what I mean? They were big, like the cramps or big, you know what I mean? Like they were one of those like, like punk bands that sort of crossed boundaries and like everybody was listening to. Um, <sighs> yeah. And as, as everybody's got something different to offer as far as like lineups, I try not to get stuck in the past. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. And, um, I want to ask you this with the lineup the way it is now is that more exciting for you because it's fresh 
because you know i guess even if you've got a stellar lineup and everybody's on fire everything after a while begins to feel formulaic right and like routine um and it seems like you're playing with all different kinds of people all the time at the moment <laughs> well john reese for example now uh, he, yeah and he's got a wonderful sense of irony and humor that i would say is very very similar to my own um and so like that much is gratifying yeah it's new and it's stressful because it's new because you have to teach people all these things again and i'm not a natural born band leader so um, maybe you had to assume that role in more recent years i just like sort of after the fact i try to keep my mouth shut in the moment and let things sort of uh coalesce naturally and then reserve my criticism for afterwards but if you pick the right bunch of people it works right like it's you know it it should theoretically work say if like cj ramon's doing a tour with you he's doing great and then something comes up and he's got to go who's in charge of finding replacements where does the buck stop there uh all of us but it our our uh we actually got into a situation like that on the flogging molly violent femmes tour when cj uh tried to open a beer bottle with a target butcher knife and went straight <laughs> through a tendon the people that were actually there that saw it said that you heard it you know what i mean because it, it like slapped his bone and went straight Straight through the tendon, he bled everywhere, had to leave later on that night to go back to Long Island. We were in New Jersey, and he was talking shit about New Jersey, as I guess New Yorkers of course. are wont to do. And, uh, and New Jersey bit back, and he severed his tendon, played Joe in New Jersey, and uh caught a ride with another friend of ours back to long island and then uh audra our manager and some of the rest of us desperately tried to so what ended up happening was our tour manager played a show on base uh our was, that, was, guy. was that ben davis was ben with you on this run no, that was no. not Ben. That was that was Aaron Lisi played a show, and um, our merch guy Brian Schroth uh, played several shows. Actually, he played Philadelphia. He played uh, Chicago, which is kind of his hometown. Uh, you know, I mean, and this was this was sort of still in COVID. I don't know for you know if that's something that we would call you know i don't know if that's the way the world is now like it seems like it's still there but we you know with vaccinations and like nobody's masked anymore no. like nobody's observing like covid protocols on tour anymore like i do i wear masks in you know public spaces when i'm traveling because you stand to lose a lot of money and at that time like if, if you got covid like you were going home and a couple of people from Flogging Molly got COVID and had to shelter in place in hotels. And it was kind of like they didn't play uh, New Haven. It was just the Violent Femmes and us that, and, and this band Thick from uh, Brooklyn that played with us and uh, that, that did the whole tour. 
and like that was really scary but uh there was also this sense that you just kind of had to just keep going no matter what like severed tendons um the next night even though they didn't have uh i forget who it was that got covid um like they did play and they played with sort of a truncated you know because there's a lot of guys up there right but like um yeah the show must go on i guess you you know to put it in a trite way uh but i guess things are different now i don't know it's still a fucking it's it's still a mind fuck to to tour and to do play you, music. do you enjoy touring at this stage do you still get a kick out of the travel element and and you know, the live show element and you know being in a bus and on the road is is everything that's involved in touring still something that you know brings you joy it makes me feel more like a pirate now like it you know like as far as where the buck stops like all, all that kind of stuff all the things that are at stake all the risks all that like has just become so like kind of stark and yeah. real and like in a way that's if you like steal your guts up for it like it's it's actually kind of a good feeling would you do more original music because you strike me as somebody who you know has got so much to say and i mean that in a good complimentary way um you know i feel like you've done so much and achieved so much but there's so much more i think you have to give uh and i feel yeah, like you but... could assemble the most killer lineup of musicians from everybody that you know that you've played with over the years is that something that's on the horizon for you is like whether it be a solo record or a new band or something i've been doing a band called the revolts off and on for quite a while and that's original music it's just like the the uh like the timeline is a little bit longer for me to get words that rhyme and are childlike and poppy enough like like have enough sort of pop appeal to my own ears to where i'm ready to like you know put a song out but i've done it pirates press records i've done a few seven inches on their record there's a 10 inch record with some good songs on it um yeah i would love to do that it's just you know like covid kind of did a number on my city too so like the list of potential collaborators is is sort of you know like what about it Black? Makes... He's San Francisco based, yes, right? I imagine, yes. I imagine and you I do and him... collaborate with him. You do, and, yeah. I imagine and... you two would hit it off like a house on fire in the studio. Yeah, no, we we do, we do. He's in fact helped me write uh, some songs too. Uh, but you know, he's got his own thing going on, and obviously, the most feasible place for me to practice would be in San Francisco, where I rent a space. But the list, like I said, of potential collaborators, it's, you know, like the tech, the two, the one, two punch. First, it was what was the AOL or the Yahoo thing. And then now it's the Google and at like it's it's crazy. And then now there's just a giant sucking sound because so many of them are leaving. And I'm sure you've heard in the news all this sort of overstated 
in, in many cases overstated uh uh like what's happened to the city over the last few years i mean it's pretty crazy if you go downtown like uh i just read somewhere there's like a dozen stores that are closing downtown because the employees don't feel safe and like the ironic thing is is that like i'm pretty sure as far as violent crime goes we're still like considerably lower than most american cities than most big american cities like america it's a, it's a violent place but uh, uh but somehow and i think it's politically motivated in a lot of cases um like it it gets a lot of what do they call it black ink red ink you know like it, it we, we're getting a lot of coverage i just read there was an italian guy that writes about america and he was writing about the state of california and the state of san francisco and he had a picture of it from a few years back and then said he didn't have the heart to to because to, he posted it you know on instagram or something and he said he didn't have the heart to post the disaster the way it is now and it does look like it's pretty crazy but it's not that much different from like so i moved to a place that was more violent than san francisco and in because of the moment that it was in too um but uh i remember being really scared of san francisco because like man who was that guy talking to you know what i mean that guy's shooting up right there you know what i mean like that guy's taking a shit right there and that this is when i first moved here in 90 and it just like eventually you come to realize that it's mostly harmless but you as a potential visitor would this make you feel comfortable 299 just say just 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 for the sake of argument 299 out of 300 people don't want to kill you and eat your face of the 300 people that are like screaming at themselves and you know like living in a tent you know what i mean like a good 299 of them like don't want to cut your head off man does that make you feel better I actually, I'm a bit of an anomaly because I really like wild, sketchy places and always have. Um, but I do think if you are a family man, woman, which I'm not, that changes everything, right? Because if you have somewhere, female. yeah, where you want to raise your kids, that really is, I think, you know, your most important concern is, is this a safe place to raise my family? Um, is it? Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Like it, it's 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 not. I mean, it's certainly not a traditional no, notion of wholesome. It's certainly not that. It's like it's it's definitely depraved. Like it's more depraved than Pittsburgh was. Even if Pittsburgh was more violent, like San Francisco was always more depraved, and and the West just in general, because yeah. San Fran Los Angeles is, is experiencing the same issues like at the same levels that we are just like much bigger because it's a much bigger place um yeah but i mean people raise families here my wife was born and raised and but i will say that she and her mother who is also born and raised here are disgusted with the with you know what's happened to it but also don't want to talk to our conservative friends about it because that's all they want to talk about yeah does that make sense yeah like they bring it up we were just at a wedding in stockton california not, 
safest city either. You know what I mean? And but like, and all of them were cert- like of a certain political stripe. You know, I didn't bring up politics or religion or anything like that. They brought up so San Francisco these days. Like, yeah, man. Like, sure. Like, it's true, but I see why you're talking about it, man. And I don't want to talk about it to you. Like, we have challenges. And COVID just kind of pulled the curtain back on everything yeah. that was wrong with, you know, France. France is a perfect example. What's happening in France is what should be happening here. S- because the center left is fucking useless, man. Yeah, right on and, the streets. Yeah. And, and I feel forced I feel almost coerced into voting for them every time. Like I believe the right wing when they say they want to destroy the world. I do not believe the left wing that what at least the center left, you know, I do not believe Democrats when they want to say they want to save it. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's become just the lesser of two evils rather than a genuine alternative. Yeah. And, and I, there, there is not a Republican for miles for me to blame the problems of this city on so i you know but there are other like very law and order very conservative run cities that are experiencing a lot of the same struggles and difficulties right now it's it's definitely a weird time sounds like you need to go solo spike forget the band it's just you (laughs) we'll see get that guitar woody guffrey style you're gonna save the world <laughs> yeah i don't know about that man that that uh it's a lot of pressure and that seems to be the problem it's like this 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 town is like it's crusaders but whenever it's crusaders watch your fucking wallet man watch like check your pockets man because like that's where because it is one of the most expensive cities in the world and like if you could see the armies of homeless people that are, I can imagine. Oh my god, it's nuts. And now there are uh, there are these guardian angel style groups, but that are made up of ex cons, and that's the kind of city that I live in. Like where it's this beautiful redemption story. I don't know what their mandate is. I don't know what they do to like homeless people and junkies when nobody's watching them. Because they're fucking ex-cons, man. Like, but they have windbreakers with a logo on them. It's called Urban Alchemy. Wow. Like, what are you? So it's like it's like neighborhood watch for the inner city. Like, what the fuck are you even? Your your hope. You 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 know what I mean? Your your hope. Um. Uh. With your physical manifestation as like a bunch of ex-cons with who knows what mandate. Super nice to me when I'm walking to the farmer's market or something like that. And just by like implication, like you're not that nice to everybody else, are you? You know what I mean? Like it's 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 really gotten weird here, like really sort of dystopian. But we're still using the right gender pronouns like the, the, the school supervisors actually wanted to change the name of Lincoln High School. They got. Run out of town on a rail. You know what I mean? During, I think, one of the last elections. But Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was too problematic of a political figure. So that's what they were spending. And it would have cost, I don't know how much money. So they're going to do garbage cans now, $22,000 each garbage can. And that's after the artists that create the garbage can. I forget how many hundreds of thousands of dollars it's going to cost. And like, we still don't have garbage cans. 
Like there's garbage just being blown all around the streets of San Francisco. It's it's amazing. Do you watch the show Black Mirror? It does sound like an episode of that. Yeah, it does. I saw the one with Jessica Chastain and it kind of had a cool Twilight Zone kind of quality to it. You know, like there's several, several other episodes and seasons. You should check it out. If if dystopian fiction, maybe you're too close to the reality to enjoy fiction of that genre at this time. But if that is your bag, it's a great show. It's a really good show. It is somewhat just like there. Um, I watched a, an Australian show called Mister In Between that was incredible. It like sort of took a lot of the best qualities of the Sopranos and Breaking Bad, where it sort of insinuates the viewer and insinuates all of your sympathies and all of your prejudices and all of your kind of like, because um, the the protagonist, who's a hitman for hire, like he's got a code and his code is probably not that different from yours. Like he's a chivalrous dude, you know? And, but it just keeps, pushing him and pushing you into more and more uncomfortable sort of situations and yeah the ones that are kind of linked to reality are the ones that are like that 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 i appreciate the most that show gomora i think you guys get that in the uk uh-huh the, i'm not saying the, that but we do yeah yeah um spike i've got really- it as we kind of come full circle i've realized in this moment the calling for you has to be stand-up comedy right it has to be i don't have the patience to sit and and write it though like it's no? that, that that's the no i wish i did i wish i did and that that's like ultimately the challenge of because ultimately like like is it the discipline to write because if you just sit down and force yourself to write you're going to come up with like a bunch of bullshit you know what i mean it's not when inspiration strikes or you know like, I don't know what the discipline of it is. I watched this thing on Gary Shandling. There was a really good biography. You familiar with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the Larry Sanders show, with uh-huh. legendary, um, like a fake talk show. And like his, they, and it was after he died, but they got into his notebooks and his diaries. And that was sort of an eye opener, like just some really weird shit that was never meant for the world to see, but just kind of a, a peek in to like this dude's creative process i think with songwriting it is more as you say about inspiration and when that strikes but i do think with writing whether it's prose or stand-up whatever it is it's just you got to sit down and write and write and write and then one good thing will come of that session then you develop that and then you then you get a bit and then you get another and then it's on to the next i think you could do it i think you'd be genius at stand-up I I would definitely give it a shot but man i'm 53 man so if i don't have the discipline yet <laughs> To, uh there's a dude called D- uh, dean del rey have you ever heard of him yeah i absolutely have he's so, he's an old uh friend of a lot of friends of mine and and i like he's an acquaintance and a friend of mine but he's old friends with a lot of san francisco people because he's a you know a marin county and therefore san francisco dude um yeah, I think he got funny. into stand-up he, when he was 50. I think that's when he switched lanes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's he's excellent at it. So you like stand-up comedy? I do. I've done it a couple of times, but I just I have too many because I don't have like a one set um stream of income. 
So I DJ, I do this, I write books, I tour, and there's all kinds of stuff I'm always doing to basically make a living. Um, and I found with stand up, it's kind of you need to be all in on that one thing. You know, like I can be a DJ on a podcaster and write books and do all of these things kind of simultaneously. But with stand up, I think it's you got to be all in and just like dedicate your life to that if you want to be good. Um, you realize that when you're in front of 20, even 20 people, like, you, like, fuck, I should have spent more time on this. Like, uh-huh. that, I mean, speaking for myself, because I try to do something like that, but luckily I have music to fall back on so that, like, all of the attention is not on me and my lack of preparation. Yeah, you're right. It probably is about discipline, you know. The You Cunt stuff's brilliant as well. Um, and I liked with that record hearing more of i guess your tastes and be that specifically the kind of 60s stuff you know the searchers the kinks it was really cool hearing hearing all that stuff i was like oh that's kind of where this guy's sensibilities lie that makes sense i get that um because obviously a lot of the gimme stuff is more american and kind of american traditional in the the pop yeah idiom and that is an outlet for for you know kind of jokes and trolling too that that it sort of descends into devolves in, into that too and maybe even more so because uh the guy jamin who kind of he's sort of the jack of all trades master of a few like he plays saxophone and, and glockenspiel but like he also has a very similar sense of humor so like when you have somebody to do it with and that's the great thing about a band is that when you have somebody to sort of uh uh to kind of riff off of and then they tell shitty jokes and like that that's generally like one guy is a straight man and the other guy is a you know that's a lot easier also you cunt we we are in the process of um recording and uh working up some cover songs again like covid threw us for a loop but, but uh I think this one will be even more so uh, reflective of what the live band has become, which is sort of like a rock and roll band with non-traditional uh, voicings, you know, not, not distorted, not like super loud, but like still with like a good frantic. You'll be like um, the quarry men up there. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. What's a guy, what's a quarry men song? I wouldn't even be able to tell you one, but Me I either. They they were obviously doing it, weren't they? Pre Beatles, that was the thing. No, who was the Quarrymen? Why so do the, I know the name? So the Quarrymen was the band that John Lennon was in before the Beatles, and they were kind of ah, like the they were kind of like a skiff rock and roll skiffle okay, kind of band. Skiffle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it had that kind of electric energy, but it wasn't full full amplification. Right. Well, that yeah, I guess you could say that that that's what this group is. Um, because I'd like to think of it as more of a rock and roll act than as like kind of a like um a novelty ukulele act because there's a lot of those, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. for a while, there were there were you know there were ukuleles in like bank commercials, and you know what I mean. It just turned yeah. into this kind of obnoxious twee kind of you know. You know exactly. I, I can't describe it, but you know the sound that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And then, and I actually did busk with the ukulele, um, not under the name Ukunt because the, <laughs> our drummer at the time 
thought that it would be offensive, but uh, but that was you're not going to get many dollars in the hat, are you? When you when you're calling yourself that on the streets, I I can imagine. I've done certain like um, volunteer work for charity, charitable organizations where you're on the streets with buckets and stuff. And I, I know just from that, and that's not with a performance element, how hardcore it can be to be out there vulnerable in a public space like that. They haven't bought tickets. <laughs> like they're not automatically inclined to liking you. Like they, you, you don't come in with, with the capital that you do playing for a bunch of people that have bought tickets because theoretically with them, like they're there to have a good time. You just have to not get in the way. Like ultimately, like that your, your only job is not to get in the way of the, the good time that they are already intend to have with you because they bought a ticket to see you. And on the streets of like Fisherman's Wharf and it was run under the port program. So it was like kind of an official program, which was kind of bullshit, too, because you had to buy insurance. And there was like and you but you had to go to this like weird sort of revolving lottery of spaces getting the good spaces at the good times which you would end up you revolving meaning that you would be at the top of the list after a cycle through but so you would go to these meetings with like the like weird like the balloon clown like like it was just, there was an aggro clown that just sort of cursed at people because it's San Francisco too. So it, like everybody's on the fringe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be <laughs> weird. Um, and there was a guy that didn't go to meetings that maybe you heard of from a few years ago called anti-Semitic Elmo obviously <laughs> did not go to, to meetings. If you look him up, if you look him up there, there's YouTube videos of him being kicked out of central park, screaming about, you know, Zog, the, the Zionist occupied government, in Central Park in New York City, and he's being so taken his out. Act, in his act, his act went on the road, did it? No, no, it wasn't an act. It was like this. This was not an act. This was this dude like being dragged off in handcuffs with the Elmo mask like off, and this weird, creepy dude screaming about like like anti-Semitic slurs and wow. uh, nuts. And the reason I found out about this is because my first day out busking. I see, oh, look, there's Elmo. Like, why does this dude have silver knee pads and a weird, like, silver satchel? And something about it just seemed kind of creepy. And people are, like, their kids are taking pictures with him. And then this sketchy balloon animal dude that I had seen, like, at these meetings said, hey, man, don't talk to Elmo. He's got a video called Welcome to the Rape Camp. And I'm like, man, I don't know you. I don't know Elmo, like you know, what I, like it was it was really weird. And then, so I did a little bit of digging, and I found out, like, wow, this is anti-Semitic fucking Elmo, man. Like this dude was famous in New York City, got run out of New York City, came to San Francisco, apparently had this video where people would, uh, like it was sort of a sliding scale of cash, uh payments to where right. you can see women being abused in like harsher and harsher ways and it was called like he really did have this video so like the balloon animal guy wasn't kidding and then at one point elmo like he got into my face because like he was about to be run out of san francisco and he said like hey man like you know the head of the port program like i'm not they're not gonna run me out of here i'm like hey you know I just remember thinking, like, what a wonderful San Francisco moment. But I 
really wish this guy was like looking at somebody other than me right now because he's such a creep. He got run out of San Francisco and then he moved to uh, to Los Angeles and he was in Hollywood around the time that uh, there was this, you know, everybody wants to sell newspapers and uh, uh, there was maybe a manufactured trend of like superheroes gone bad and right. like Disney yeah, yeah. characters. Like you've been to Hollywood, right? Like, and you've ever seen Mickey Batman's Mouse there like, and Spider-Man's there and, and they get into a fist fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somebody breaks out a knife or something. And then like, I think Spider-Man absconded with the bank from one of those star tours buses. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Elmo was in the mix too. And then, and then, and then there's an anti Medic Elmo, like, and so he got run out of Hollywood. I think he had to go to Hawaii. He got run out of there. I, I don't know what happened to him since. See, he should be changing his disguise, shouldn't he, really? And, you know, mixing it to Big Bird or Groucho or something like that. I don't know. Elmo's that's done. It's spent. That's his brand. We're talking about him right now, man. So <laughs> it's got to be working. <laughs> There's no business like show business, Spike. No. Case in point. And on that yes. amazing note, um, let's uh let's conclude a wonderful chat there um thank you so much dude it's been really great i've sort of been at shows where you've been in the vicinity i've never really had a proper chat with you before and and have really uh you know wanted to for a long time and i'm pleased that we got to finally make it happen and uh yeah this was every bit as as fun and great as i knew it would be so um, yeah, i've smeared you, you with with uh with unkind uh, San, no san francisco folklore <laughs> yeah well no that's naval that's naval <laughs> folklore the midnight stroker oh is, yeah 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 that's a callback yeah we got to take it back to the midnight stroker well as i said at the start and i'll reiterate here it was an honor to be addressed in that way <laughs> <laughs> the honor and the privilege is mine thank you for taking the time man and i'll hopefully see you i'm coming out to punk rock holiday and Bayfest, hopefully. So uh, nice. if I am heading That'll be out the there, last show of our tour. The Bayfest will be the, the, the last. Uh, maybe we'll go to the Fellini Museum. There you go. Well, I'll, I'll speak to Vanessa if I am going out and I'll find a way to, you know, get in contact. And yeah, man, I'd it'd like be nice, nice to see you and have a soda at the old uh, the Bayfest at the pool party. Yeah, there you go. There we go. A nice wrap end to the that's summer. Not... Yes. <laughs> man thank nice you. one spike really enjoyed it dude have a great day yeah, thank you, you and um too. yeah keep at it and, and look forward to some new music of of various varieties the yukon stuff sounds promising and the um i've forgotten the name but i'm gonna have to post Los it in the nuevos bajos. it's already in the can it's just we're just waiting we're doing it just needs artwork and now do you sing you in know. spanish in that or do you sing in english yes you sing in spanish incredible yes and i was told it's respectful wow um, that makes me I wasn't even more told it was to hear it. Perfect. I wasn't. It would like your Spanish is respectful. It's like I'll take that. It's sincere and it's authentic, and it's appreciated yes. by by people that speak it. Apparently, apparently, we'll see. <laughs> Time is a great teller, um, dude. Right. See you down the road, man. Hope to see you Indeed. real soon. Thanks Thank so much, you. Spike. Cheers, Thank dude. You.